This week, we are joined by Mary Palak of San Jose, California. Mary was originally born in the Philippines and immigrated to the Bay Area of California when she was still a youth. Mary has been a strong advocate of the bar and restaurant scene in San Jose. She is a founding member and president of the Silicon Valley chapter of the United States Bartenders Guild. And in 2019, the city of San Jose honored her with a commendation for her contributions to the food and beverage community. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Industry Podcast. We are back with another episode. I'm Kip. With me is Dan. How's it going? I'm doing very well, thanks. And yourself? Solid, yeah. Things are picking up as the weather's getting a little cooler. It is getting a little cold lately. People are ready to go into underground dungeons again. So <laughs> things have, it's been a little bit better business-wise. So oh, that's, that's good. Good, good yeah. to hear. Um, we have an amazing guest for you again this week, a real industry superstar, actually, we're going to bring in shortly. Um, but uh, before we do, let's uh, just take care of the, get the housekeeping out of the way. If you are into what we're doing, the best way to help us out is to subscribe, rate and review the industry podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Um, and uh, shout out, as always, to Zach Hanna Design. Uh, at Zakana, Z-A-K, um, for the artwork. Yep, there'll be a link to Zach's Instagram in the show notes as usual. Yes, and uh, if you are in the service industry and you want to be on the show, you can DM us at the Industry Podcast. Uh, aside from that, I think we can, we're ready to bring in our guest. So we have Mary Palak with us today. How are you, Mary? I'm fantastic. How are y'all doing? We are all right. Uh, Mary's coming uh, to us from San Jose, California. Uh, and uh, well, let's just jump right into it. What's the scene like in San Jose right now? Like you work at a bar called Paper Plane, that's correct? I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a really beautiful space. Um, before COVID, it was very high volume bar. Um, we pack like 250 people that in on any given like night. Um, but with a seasonal cocktail menu too. So it was really fun. We have a great team there. Um, we are currently closed right now um, because of COVID. Mm. Um, we're operating um, like a small pop-up, but um, most of this team is at home staying safe. Um, our county, Santa Clara County, has probably one of the strictest um, counties in the state uh, as far as like uh, reopening. So it might be a little while until I can step behind a bar again. Oh, it's frustrating, huh? Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody's got to stay safe, but I know it's like when we finally got back to work here in uh, Ontario, it, it was just like, it, first of all, it seemed it, you kind of are a little rusty when you finally get back to it, but, but it's also like, it was such a, a deep sense of relief to like be back at work. You never, you forget how much you miss it. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I think um, I've had to do a couple of cocktail videos uh, and things like that where I've had to either really make a drink or pretend to make a drink and everything just feels unfamiliar. <laughs> like, yeah, it's weird. I've eh? forgotten no. completely what to do with my hands. I know. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's funny how like, I mean, it comes back pretty quickly, but it's funny how quickly you can lose it a little bit too, right? Especially yeah. for someone who's been bartending as long as you. You started, you were, you were born in the Philippines? I was. Um, I mean, we came over to America during um, what was called the Yellow Revolution or the People's Power Revolution. It was, it was actually a very peaceful revolution in the Philippines in the 80s. Um, but it put in power uh, the first female president of the Philippines. 
Um, but it was just, it was kind of a sketchy time. And my parents, we already had family in America. So uh, my dad brought us all over when I was really little to Santa Cruz. And that's where we first lived. And um, I grew up there for the most part. And uh, that's like where I started in the restaurant industry too. I worked my first job as a hostess at Margaritaville in Capitola. Oh, Margaritaville, really? Yeah, but uh, no, not Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville. Oh. There's it's, uh, it was like supposedly they were Margaritaville before oh, he my. had his chain of restaurants. Oh so, oh, so they could keep the name. <laughs> and there were, there were no lawsuits. Um, okay, so, and you were young, right? 15? Yeah, I think, well, I joke, I was even younger. Uh, my mom was a nurse, and she would work at this, um, like, senior care facility, and they had a, a dining room for assisted living seniors, and I was the drinks girl, and I was, I was, like, 14, 15 years old, and I would pour box wine for this assisted, like, living um uh, residents. That sounds like and a scene from my living sweet. room. <laughs> they would hit me on Christmas, um, but I, I knew their orders all ahead of time. There was like a little seating chart which who got red wine, who got white wine, who got blush. All oh. friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all, all the brands. Uh, no. That's crazy. Uh, and then so, but you, at 15, you're actually working at this Margaritaville place? Uh, I was like 17. When okay, I went. 17. So, all yeah, right. By yeah, yeah. I, yeah, it could it could happen. I started working there at seventeen. That was my first real restaurant gig, and then um, I started working over in San Jose, um, just because there was more more stuff going on, and I was going to school, so it made sense. And uh, so, starting as a hostess, we've had a few other people on the program as well who started that way, either as a hostess or a barback. What do you think that that taught you about how, uh, like that, that? What what do you think that that taught you that helped you? in your career going further? Um, I think hostesses are really, um, they kind of get like the treatment from both ends. They, mm-hmm. They're the first people that customers greet, right? And especially now, 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 nowadays, um, I have a lot of respect for hostesses who are dealing with people at the door. Yeah. Um, but even back then, you would get the grunt of it from your customers and then you would get the grunt of it if you made a mistake from like your servers and your mm-hmm. your your bartenders and things like that. If you sat someone too much or not enough, and um, I remember coming up that, and I I, I ended up um, kind of using that to my advantage and like working with whoever my servers and whatever, and uh, I would end up getting more tips that way. So right. I get tipped out at the end of the night if I um, depending on how I sat. So. Um, I, I made a lot more like strategic moves as uh, a hostess back in the day, but also I was really young. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't absorbing as much as I, I do now, but it was it was actually a, it was a good start. It was a good. I think it's a good entry point for a lot of people. Yeah, and I think it, it brings. Uh, it's interesting what you said there as well. Like a lot of people have mentioned how teaching you how to organize your time or whatever, but more like touching on what you were talking about. Really, the kind of dealing with the guest right away. You're the first face they see, you're, and mm-hmm. you're dealing with all the personalities. That kind of has got to be a bit of a good training for what you're, what's coming next. Oh, absolutely! Especially if when you're like working at a beach bar in the height of summer, and it's a two-hour wait, oh. and you have like you know, yeah. <laughs> you have all these people just constantly like you know, I've been waiting here a long time. Like I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so yeah, it's, it, it was a skill set and it was, it's a kind of like throwing you in the deep end of, uh, of dealing with customers face to face. So do you, do you go from there to being right into bartending or is there a, a stop along the way uh, for I serving to, tables? So what by, I, I, by the time I was working in San Jose, I worked at this restaurant called Bluff Bar and Bistro. I started hostessing there. My cousin at the time was the bar manager um, and I told him, I want to spec, I knew where the money was. I want to serve. I want to bartend. I want to eventually do that. Yeah. Um, so I talked to my bosses and I kind of just, I was very persistent. Anytime, like I knew that there were shifts coming up, I would, um, you know, bug them and be like, Hey, you know, I, I think I could be really good at serving. And same, same with when, um, I wanted a bartend. I was like, Hey, I would really love to train to bartend and for bartending I was offered like hey just train me as backup train me you know um you can you don't have to like as one of those those things I would never do nowadays which is like you don't have to pay me for training which right yeah I was like train me so that um you know uh, you have a backup just in case and sure. you know it's useful for me to have these skills I sold it I kind of had to sell it but I was persistent and uh, so you do get some shift serving tables and bartending at the same time, almost right away, or? Oh yeah, I think there. Yeah. Well, it's it was a it's a like all day restaurant. So during the day, I'd have the serving day shifts, which is like if someone ordered the drink, you're the bartender. You're right. also the butler. Right, right. You're the host. You're yeah. <laughs> everything. Um, so I had to learn those skills that way too. Um, eventually, yeah, they brought me on to uh, the night shift bartending the fun because the restaurant then converted into a club and that was like the tail end of the black bar sh- bartending the black shirt bartending days where um yeah you show up to work and wear a black shirt and then you know you poured a bunch of coronas and it was great <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah we had a, a guest previously on uh, who was working in one of those places we were talking about the phenomenon of these places that were restaurant by day nightclub by night like you kind of get every type of person if you're like every type oh, of yeah. guest. Absolutely. Yeah. During the day, we would have all the professionals that li- that work because it was in downtown. So we had all the lawyers, sometimes politicians. We have a lot of tech professionals downtown, like uh, the big Adobe campus is downtown. So we would get all these professionals during the day. Um, eat in the evening, it was, uh, you know, dates, small families, young professionals still. And then at night, it just completely changed yeah. <laughs> completely changed it's just like college age kids mm-hmm. looking to get college fun. young i mean we did bottle service on our patio it, it was just completely different atmosphere mm. um and this is in santa cruz right no this is in san jose now oh san jose sorry yeah okay san jose so um uh, okay so you're you're there you're now behind the bar um, is this the point where you're starting to realize, oh, maybe this is what I'm going to continue doing for a while? Or did you had, well, actually, just talk to me about, like, what, when you were growing up, what, what kind of a, what kind of an idea did you have about what you wanted to do with your life? Um, I think I honestly, um, for a long, long time, I really thought I was going to be, um, in academics. I thought I was going to be a teacher. I still, I still have elements of that and, um, that I, I, I cling to in terms of education. Um, I, so I thought I was going to be like a high school math teacher, honestly. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, uh, yeah, I, I originally started bartending to help pay for school. And then I like, I completely stopped going to school because I was just bartending and, um, it was much more fun than school. Right. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. All right. But and it, it seems like just 
from reading through your bio that you're kind of still educating people now, right? So you're kind of getting the best, the best of both worlds. Yeah, I think I found, I mean, uh, I, the, the, the way my career has taken, it came from first seeking education. Um, I, I started working at, um, after the loft, I started working at the, like, San Jose's first kind of speakeasy craft cocktail place it was called Single Barrel back then. And they gave me a great foundation in terms of education. Um, I worked with an amazing team. So a lot of the teammates I still work with today at different bar. Um, and we all just kind of geeked out because we didn't have uh, back then the access to information that there's available today. Mm-hmm. We had to go hunt down all the classic books. We had to go watch like small screen network and uh, read all the blogs because that's how you got information back then um and we kind of built this uh, communal database and we all grew up together in terms of cocktails and things like that um and then once i hit a certain point where i felt like oh you know I'm, i've learned a lot but i feel like there's more that when i started venturing out i found all these other crazy industry opportunities I had never known existed, especially being in San Jose, because it's not, we don't, we did, especially back then, we didn't get really exposed to any of that. Um, and that just led on to more opportunity after more opportunity. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, I have a couple questions for you about this. Well, so first of all, uh, San Jose as a community, what is that, like, what is the bar scene like in San Jose as compared to other, like, bigger cities in California? I mean, the thing about it is, like, People think people don't people don't know what where San Jose is most of the time, which is kind of funny um, to yeah, me. So there's a whole there's a whole song about it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but also, it's the third largest city in California, oh. and nobody. Knows. It's actually a bigger city than San Francisco, but no one comes to San Jose because it's a city of industry and it's not a city of food and drink. Right. Um, it's not a tourism city. It's uh, you know it's the heart of the tech industry. It's the, like going back decades, like old school tech industry mm-hmm. um and uh, there's a lot of potential and, and i would say the first few, like i said i worked at one of the first like places i was doing like um any kind of uh, craft cocktails or seasonal menu or things like that and uh it, it didn't grow as probably as quickly as it should have i think because um because of you know we don't we don't get that kind of uh we don't get that that influx like san francisco does um of people just always looking for food and drink um but i would say in the last five years it's grown a lot and there's been a ton of great bars that have opened up um restaurants that are just caring more hotels are caring more um it's finally hit us to the point where we have a a small but growing community and I would put their talents on par, you know, with a lot of major cities in the world. Yeah. And just touching on what you're talking about there as well, like, do you feel like, I mean, maybe this is obvious, but do you feel like the cities that, that are very tourism driven, they tend to expand quicker with like the food and drink scene, like the craft cocktailing, et cetera? Yeah, because they don't just have their living population, um, that's driving their business, their revenue. They also have their visiting population and that's what it is. Like our visiting population, we, we, we have a smaller part. We have people coming in and um, a large part of what's driven like some growth for us is we started hosting um, a lot of these huge conventions like uh, 
Apple started doing their worldwide developer conference in San Jose a couple years back. And that brought us a huge influx of people. And so we didn't get the people who were just visiting because we're into this, this great, beautiful known city, like, like San Francisco or New York. Mm-hmm. Um, we were getting just mostly people who were there on business. And, and, and So in a weird way, do you feel like it's kind of like instead of the the bar restaurant industry itself driving things forward, it's almost like driven by the guests, like how quickly things develop? Oh, absolutely. I think for us, um, for our area, absolutely. It's like, um, I mean, in certain ways, yes, we're, we're, we're very much, we have our core kind of group of um, people in our community that have worked really hard by going out to big cities, learning and bring it back and sharing mm-hmm. it. But the need, the, the need for growth and like the need for more and more places to open up with good food and drink options has, I think, really been influenced by the growth of the tech industry in our area. Right, because now you have people coming from all over the place where, who have been to cool bars in New York mm-hmm. and San Francisco and now they, they kind of demand it from you. Yeah, and they geek out like crazy. They love our industry. They love cocktails and food. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, I did a early, early on when we had formed our USBG chapter, I did a talk about how like if you don't step up your education game, our guests are going to outsmart you one day. <laughs> yeah, well, that yeah. fucking happens all the time. Like, and yeah. especially because like, you, you do have a lot of guests now who are trying to st- trick you up right like they've oh yeah like they've read a book or watched youtube or or seen a show about bartenders and or gone to a cool bar and now Mm -hmm. they've like they're looking like it's almost like they're testing you every time they come in which and that didn't happen like back in the day back in the day if you made a fucking cool looking smoke drink or like or 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 made a proper old-fashioned for them they would be blown away right yeah, I mean, sometimes they're still blown away by that. But yeah, I, yeah that's true. But I, I guess what I'm getting at is, do, do you feel like the guests, the fact that the, and and this relates back to something I also wanted to touch on that you mentioned earlier, but like the fact that there's so much more available to the guests with regards mm-hmm. to um, uh, technology, YouTube, what what have you, we, they don't have to go seek out the books anymore, like you were mentioning, or the blogs. Like mm-hmm. they have more access to the information, so they're almost demanding more from us. Yeah, I absolutely. I think that like it's I see it in shows and TVs and movies and references so much that like the bartender is just it seems like such a cool job. Like that's yeah. like yeah. You know, if I ever win a million bucks, I'm going to own a bar. I'm like, I never want to own a bar. But <laughs> <laughs> I think that but there's this perception because it's fun. It's they're not wrong either. Yeah. I mean, this is a fun job. Our job is literally to make thing, make an environment that you have fun in, you know? Um, and then most of us travel to, and and get to do that in other cities. So Mm -hmm. yeah, they're not wrong, but I, um, I definitely think that there's, there's also with the kind of like, um, the attention that's being paid to the quality of ingredients, especially like we've seen that farm to table movement with um, restaurants first. And now we're seeing like a lot of like the craft industry kind of paying attention to their ingredients or we're looking at the quality of um, like spirit brands and things like that more um, with more scrutiny. I think that there's, there's just like this whole other level for them to geek out on. Yeah. Um, Especially with whiskey. That's what I see the most is people who like, like to, tell me how much they know about whiskey 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then the funny thing, too, is, like, people, like, they kind of forget. Yeah, you might have, um, whatever, like, watched a, a documentary about whiskey yep. or how whiskey's made or whatever, but this is what we fucking do for a living, like, you know? And, like, not, and that's not to say that every single bartender they encounter is going to have an extensive whiskey knowledge, but, like, the good ones will. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think that... Um, Okay, so let's just talk about this for a second because you were mentioning earlier the um, about seeking out the blogs and the books that you had to do back in the day. How do you feel about like? Do you feel like to be in, the, in an upper echelon of our profession, much like any other one, it, it, you do need to self-educate? And uh, I think, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, on on multiple levels, mm-hmm. uh, not just about the booze, not just about the technique, but yes, um, there is. There is a lot of, there's, we're lucky today. There is a lot of information that's accessible. You know, there are a lot of like brands that are um, investing in education. You know, you can call up most brand reps and they'll come out and train your staff on something. But if you want to learn about like a category, if you want to learn about um, uh, certain histories and things like that, you do still have to do some research. We've just made it easier to get. Mm-hmm. Um and that's not, like I said, not just in terms of spirits, you have to educate yourself on like so many things nowadays, so many things. I mean, like for me, my, my turn, um, the past couple of years has been like a complete, like step away from learning about, I mean, I still do it. I still learn about spirits and cocktails and things like that and techniques. That's great. Um, but you also see this shift in our industry about wanting to talk about more important social issues and it's still the thing. I don't want to be the uninformed bartender. I don't want to be an un- uninformed human. Right. So I, you know, there has been a shift for me personally, learning more about my heritage, learning about, you know, how I'm going to decolonize my head, you know, like, how am I going to, how am I going to do better um, uh, every day um, in a system that is not necessarily built for me, but mm-hmm. uh, that I've ignored that it hasn't been built for me. Uh, okay let's talk about that a little bit how do you feel like it hasn't been built for you i don't think well here's i I, it was funny because i actually just had a talk i was talking about this earlier is that i've spent uh the majority of my career in my life trying to play into what um what i thought what bartender was and that image in my head and the image that has constantly portrayed to me is like a white mustachioed mixologist with (laughs) yeah And that is for the longest time, you know, um, the the people who I've seen at the top, the people who've won the awards and all this stuff. So I've clung to this idea that I could be just like them, okay. that I can do everything that they do. And that's not to say that I can I can't accomplish what they accomplish. I can, but not by doing it the same way because we are not the same person. Right. Yeah. yeah. I have well, different obstacles. Sure. Um, and, uh, but that, I mean, that's a good thing. Like I, the only way that this industry is going to grow into doing more original and cool stuff is if people like you have that notion and be like, okay, let's attack this from a different angle. Like I, I'm not trying to be that guy. I'm just trying Mm -hmm. to do something cool in the profession that I've chosen and that I care about. Yeah. And it was actually really through when I started to more, especially like, diving a little bit more into like 
my his my my heritage, the flavors I grew up with, kind of playing with those, I actually found a lot more a lot more success. And same with um, like the being involved in a lot of things uh, that were focused on being a woman in this industry. I found more success when I focused on my uh, the actual person that I was than the person that I was trying to be or emulate. Huh. That's interesting. Can you give me some like uh, sort of concrete examples of like how we, of, of how your heritage, your womanhood, whatever you want to, however you want to talk about it, has influenced a a cocktail you've created or? Yeah, I mean, like I think for the longest time, I um, because of the way I came up in cocktails with the whole speakeasy and classic things, I was not as into um, like innovation or interesting spirits. So I was like basically just recreating the same five classic cocktails over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I started to inject a little bit more of um, like flavors I grew up with, like uh, calamansi, which is a Filipino lime or ube or things like that, or tropical flavors, those are flavors that I grew up with. Like I grew up with avocado being a dessert. That's right. weird for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, when I started injecting, you know, some of those flavors, then I actually found a lot of success. I won like uh, one of like the, the first cocktail competition I won um, that I got a trip to France um, was uh, using a drink with calamansi, and I, I got to. Sh- and it, well, I think what was really special about that is I got to tell a real story about it, not like this like. Uh, you know, like uh, imagined tale of whatever adventure and stuff um, that you can think of for a classic drink. I actually told a story about when I was 17 riding on the back of a motorcycle in the Philippines mm. and how I tr- I would drink everything and, and chase it with the calamansi juice, you know, and um, it was it was it made it more special. It made it more sincere. And I think that showed in, in the drink. Yeah, um, is, is that kind of backstory okay for instance like that sort of backstory is amazing when you're working behind the bar just for the guests guys like Mm -hmm. backstories sell shit right like we all know that whether you're talking about a spirit or a wine or a cocktail that's what sells shit is knowing how to tell a story about it so when you're doing these competitions does that work with the judges as well i think it does i think that like when anytime you're operating from a place of sincerity it shows and it affects people I think people can hear it. They, they they can hear like a truth in you and they can see it. And dare I say, taste it because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they can see the effort you put in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I definitely think so. Um, it It's, it's interesting. Cause um, I mean, it's, it's, I'm not actually, I'm not, um, I don't do a lot of competitions. I've done a few, um, but it's, when it when you have the right inspiration and you have a great story to tell and it comes together in a, a drink that you're really proud of, I it, it just hits this like kind of perfect storm and um and I'm like I'm saying like the cherry on top is the sincerity of it and I think people can see that. And uh, how do you feel? So that that talks speaks a little bit to your your upbringing and the flavors you experienced growing up in the Philippines or whatever. The um like talk to me about the woman side of it as well. Um, like, yeah, I mean, um, uh, like I said, like I, I spent a lot of my career trying to be the bro, you know, trying yeah. to be like, you know, one of the guys mm-hmm. and I will, you know, I'm, I didn't, I probably didn't love women as much as I love them now. I probably didn't because <laughs> I was, I saw it as a competition. And then the, like, 
the the competition that kind of changed that for me was speed rack which is a competition for women <laughs> okay yeah right? what is speed rack i saw that in your bio i don't even know anything about yeah, this so, so speed rack is um it's it's done in uh, several different cities in america and it is um a competition held to raise money for breast cancer research okay and um the first year i did uh, first year i saw it i was like that's cool i work in a higher volume bar i would kill at this so I went just as a guest and I was blown away. I had so much fun. Um, and I just saw like, there was just this crazy crowd energy and power on stage and these fierce women like throwing ingredients like together. It was super cool. So I thought, you know, what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to sign up. I'm going to apply and see if I can get in. Of course I get in. And the next year I got in and I had never done it. <laughs> so I also didn't know how to train for anything like that. Mm. And but I had just gone to an event um, called Camp Renamuk with a bunch of uh, lovely women and some of them had and I reached out to that small network that I had just built and they gave me advice and all this stuff but really the day before the competition we had this dinner um, for the competitors and uh, one of the girls was like hey does anyone want to warm up in my bar the next day and I was like what and that's when I discovered, like, um, the the network the, of women that the, this competition has created has, they've, even though they're competing against each other, even though we compete against each other, we train together, we bring people up to come with us together, we celebrate each other's, like, uh, like kick-ass times, and we, you know, we're there for each other when we, you know, break something, and it's um, this amazing really sisterhood of women who've participated in this. And, um, since then, I, um, it took me a few years. Um, but the year that I won, uh, was the first year that I trained people, tra- trained other women in San Jose. And that was super oh, wow. special. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and sorry, where's the competition held? It's held all over the country. Um, so there's usually like, uh, I want to say like seven cities, um, there's always one in San Francisco. There's usually one in Chicago, New York, those, uh, DC, Seattle, Texas. And then those are the regional. And then they usually do a finals, like a nationwide final. Wow. That's just, that's, that's amazing. But like, I, and I was just thinking about what you're talking about. Like, I can't even imagine if that was an all male competition. It would never fucking go that way. There would be right? no, I, like, be I no just had, well, I mean, like before that, I didn't even know that that existed for, yeah. for me. Yeah, I just for bartenders was, in general, yeah. Yeah, I was blown away by how open and willing, like we were fierce as hell um, competing against each other. Like we didn't hold any punches competing against each other, but we also helped each other. But just supporting you know? each other, yeah. yeah. Do you um, do you find that that uh, translates into the work environment as well? Like uh, th- this industry, uh, although there's, I've worked in several places where it's just like, great camaraderie with everyone ends up being friends. We all, like, I have lifelong friends from places I worked at 20 years ago. But, like, there is a certain level of competition to that as well because you're competing for the best shifts or, like, to get, like, promoted to head bartender or whatever the hell, right? I sure, but I I think so. But I think that depends on the culture of your workplace. Mm -hmm. Um, My, I mean, like, I've I've been looking to work in places that are very centered around team tending, like, like, you bar, like we all tips, we all bartend as a team, you know, mm. um, we can to an extent call someone who's like not pulling their weight, but really it's everyone has their strengths and we all feel like the, like 
the people who like, I used to joke that I was the muscle cause I would just, I was faster, you know, and, yeah. um, but would have like, um, like a, a teammate next to me who might not be the fastest, but he's giving, you know, he's smiling at every single guest. I am not. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You're like me. It's funny. I, I'm in the same position now with my business partner. He's definitely the guy who will smooth all the guests. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, I'm, I want to pump out the drinks. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, I think that there's, um, there is, there is to an extent, but I mean, I, I never found, I think early on, I think early on when I was bartending, yes, I had that competition, but in, in like the teams that I've worked with recently, it's really been about, um, like, how are we going to get through this night together mm-hmm. and how are we going to get through this night together with the most success? Well, and some of it probably comes from the fact that when you're younger, you're still trying to prove yourself, right? Yeah, Whereas for when, sure. you, when you're when you've been in the business for a while and you realize, okay, I've achieved this, this, and this, I know what I'm doing. Like the competition part of you sort of fades. Yeah, I mean, there's still, I mean, and I don't, I don't, um, I don't mind it. Like uh, there is definitely still like, like I live with another bartender, but our and we do have small a small competitiveness between us, but it's really not. Um, about ego as it is driving each other to right. do more, <laughs> right. you know? Uh, and do you, uh, I, we've been talking about this a little bit on the show, but like I have come to the realization, at least this is my belief and people can disagree with me, but you know, fuck them. The, <laughs> I'm just kidding. The, um, uh, you, the tip pooling thing, I think is, the way of the future it's the way this shit's got to go it's the only way to bring a team together where everyone's working as a unit as opposed to everyone just taking care of themselves yeah i haven't not had a tip pool since i was um just a server handling my own table so mm-hmm. um yeah we i've the only type kind of bartending i've known is a tip pool but what about pooling with the servers as well i you know i've never had to do that and um that's, I think, here, the thing about it is uh, there is there is a shift that's going on in our industry, uh, whether we're ready for it or not. And we're going to see lots of different kind of structures coming out of it, um, particularly not just community servers. We're, we're talking including back of house because you want to talk about like unfair tips or things like that. Back yeah. of house has been out for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, like I'm for it. Um, but I'm more for, um, finding a way that we can bring, um, this industry to a place where, uh, hospitality is seen as a, um, valued service. Um, the food and industry, uh, food and drink industry is, is seen as a valued industry so that we can, um, charge the appropriate prices to pay people the like livable wages. <laughs> right. Okay. Talk to me a little bit about it. Cause you're doing some work with that regarding that right now, right? Well, no, it's not so much about, it's more about saving. Um, uh, the organization I'm, I'm helping organize for is called thirst trust. And, uh, really their goal is to right now, first, first goal, save, uh, bars and restaurants, mm-hmm. right? Cause we're not, we're not, we're not doing so great. Um, as a whole, as an industry. Um, and one of the ways that they're attacking that is that they want to um, find ways to convince our local legislators to who are uh, who run committees, particularly regarding like insurance, um, to 
make insurance companies pay out claims for loss of business during this pandemic, um, which I've seen so many businesses um, talk about how that, like even my, even like speaking to um, my bosses, that it's just not even an option. Like insurance companies are straight up telling them, nope, you have nothing that you can claim, even though you've paid into this plan, you know, you can't claim loss of business on a pandemic. We don't cover that, you know? Um, and there's, there are several States that actually have legislation already written and are working to get that passed. There's a few bills in New York going on right now. There's one in California. Um, and the goal of thirst as an organization is to levy, um, our industry who are constituents, um, of these legislators level, like, by leveraging our, our, our bar owners, our, our hospitality workers, even people who just love restaurants and bars and who care about them and be like, hey, you know, these are the people you're responsible for and this is what they need right now. They need help. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and it's, not, it's definitely not the first reaction of an insurance company to help out in those situations. And, and yeah. in all honesty, like, let's, let's be honest here. Of course, there's no fucking... Thing written into your insurance policy that uh, regarding a pandemic nobody sees mm -hmm. that shit coming but there should be something in like something written in like as a sort of an overall umbrella towards loss of business right like if, yeah, like an emergency closure or something yeah, like that yeah. and that i mean like if i if a pipe broke if a right. pipe broke right that's an emergency closure that would be considered um uh, something that you can claim. Uh, the the eventual goal and the hope is that we would get some actual FaceTime with legislators um, to hopefully kind of lobby on the behalf of bars and restaurants. Okay, well, we would normally do this at the end of the show, which we're not close to yet, but I'm um, just while we're on the topic so we don't forget, like tell people how they can help out with this. Sure. Um, the website, you can get signed up. Right now we need numbers. We're building an army. So um, if you'd like to help out, uh, the website is thirstgroup.org slash get involved. And there's a small form to fill out and you can get updates. And if you're a bar owner, um, there's also some really amazing resources um, that can help you. Okay. Uh, all right. So let's backtrack a little bit. And uh, so... Talk to me a little bit about USBG for people who don't know what that is. You're the yeah, president. Yeah, so that is um, the United States. I'm not just in my chapter. <laughs> That's the oh, United okay. States Bartenders Guild. Uh, we have several chapters all over the country. Uh, uh, I helped form the Silicon Valley chapter five years ago. I'm uh, the president for a few more months. We'll have elections at the end of the year. Uh, we're having new, some new board members, which is fine because I've been in, in this seat for a long time. Um, but the the reason, one of the main reasons we formed um, that organization is because, like I said, I mentioned kind of before, there is not a lot of, we're not a lot exposed to a lot of opportunities in San Jose, even though we're a fairly big market. Like people don't consider us a big market, mm -hmm. but we have a million people living in our city mm -hmm. um, that say otherwise. So there's a potential there that is untapped. And there's all these, uh, like, all these hospitality workers that aren't getting exposed to opportunities in education that they could be excelling at. So uh, we helped form that five years ago. Um, this year we've got brought on some new board members who've been putting together some really excellent programming. Like uh, last month, they with it was a collaboration between uh, our chapter as well as the San Francisco chapter and like really a statewide collaboration. 
um, some of our board members put together an entire series on California labor rights. Um, they talked about unemployment, like things you need to know, things how you can file. Uh, they talked about general labor rights. Uh, they talked about like labor rights in terms of safety if you're going back to work in the time of uh, COVID. So um, that was some really amazing, like useful programming that they put in place and it was all virtual. So it was a lot easier done. We also have um, an education week coming up in October where we're doing um, lots of different classes throughout the week. Um, we've been doing some more casual kind of just like industry check-ins, which are just like little Zooms where we connect with uh, our, our local like industry uh, group, like our industry Facebook group and have a little chat, see how everyone's doing, see if there's any ways, you know, that we haven't thought of that we could help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of sounds like you're like, it's, it's the borderline beginning of, something that we haven't talked about on this show yet, but that I'm very interested in is like potentially sort of a union situation for service. You know, it's been, the USBG has been around since like this, I don't know, 60s, 70s. It's been around for a long time. Some of the earliest chapters were in uh, Southern California and Vegas. Um, But I think people always thought of it as that, like they always thought it was going to be something um, that was going to make, become a union and give us like health benefits and things like that. And I, right now, that's not that's not the role that they play, and that's not the role that they're. I think that they're made for. Um, it's more. It's it's a trade organization that's meant to support and educate and create opportunities, but it doesn't have the same like weight as um, like uh, as unions. Not yet, at least. Do and you, I don't know. Does the I don't service, know. Does, uh, sorry to interrupt you. Does the service industry need a union? I don't. I, I honestly don't feel like I I have any um, experience or knowledge enough to like speak on that because I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know what's the best solution. I don't. Um, I mean, that's like uh, someone who uh, so it, I I I I feel like that's somewhere I, an area where I'm a lot less informed than some people. Um, I don't know. And then this, maybe it's because we've, uh, most of us have always seen this, not necessarily as a career. We've seen this as a job that we're going to do for, you know, a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. But in reality it is a profession that's like as old as this country. So, and I feel like more and more people uh, are looking at it that way as a career Mm -hmm. now, because, because of like the, the, technology, YouTube, internet, whatever, that um, now bartenders are becoming stars, like yeah. like chefs did when the first chef shows came out, right? Like fucking Gordon Ramsay or whatever. The, uh, like now that people are seeing that stuff, they're starting to look at it more as a career and then maybe the union thing follows that way. Yeah, and it would, like, if it was seen kind of like a, like a craftsmanship and things like that, yeah, absolutely, it could be seen that. And there are some... Like in Nevada and like there are some states like all the casino workers are all unionized already. Mm-hmm. And so um, those hospitality workers um, are part of unions. So, I mean, I, it's not impossible. I just don't know. I don't know what the steps are to get us there. I don't know if that's the best solution. I don't know what is. Well, the steps to get us there are going to be a fucking nightmare. Yeah. I'll tell you that <laughs> if it happens at all. But I just, I just think it's an interesting thing to think about. We haven't really talked about it a lot on the show. It sounds like the USBG is at least 
it's it, while not clearly clearly not a union it's it sounds like you have some of the same ideals like our yeah. goals. I think I mean it, and it's it's different <clears throat> every chapter is different it's diff- much different on a local level than it is on a national level mm. but at the very least it's connecting a lot of us so I mean yeah if that's the start where it's at least connecting us and allowing us to um come together as a community um then yeah it's it's a, a start in that direction but but yeah it's a ways to go i think okay um let's talk about um so we talked about speed rack let's talk about uh bar mania what is that all oh, about? speaking of vegas that's <laughs> That was my that was my beautiful segue. Did you like that? That's, that, that, that's why I'm. Um, actually, it's the Barmania Super Fun. It's a, it's another <laughs> speed competition, but it's already it's another speed competition. Uh, another one for cancer, but this one is for time for St. Baldrick's. It's for children's cancer research. Um, well, I, and, that, that, that still counts. That's good. We should. <laughs> and it started, started by a beautiful man named uh, Nectali, um, and he owns two bars in Vegas, uh, two restaurants and bars. They're, they're awesome, Herbs and Rye and Cleaver. And he originally started uh, Barmania like on a whim. His uh, partner uh, was going to shave her head to raise money. Uh, and he's like, fuck that, we can do better. And so he brought a bunch of his friends. And there was this old competition um, called Rematch that was like basically a, a speed competition where you threw money down and you um, had this set round of drinks and whoever went fastest and nailed all the drinks won. So it's formatted like that where you get um, a bunch of bartenders from all over the country and then you invite them to wear their most ridiculous costumes um, and then you put them in a completely packed bar, uh, where everything's sticky. Cause the person before you just demolished the bar <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, uh, tell them to make 12 drinks as fast as, you, as they can. And, and, uh, and do I, you know, do you know the drinks in advance? Or they're just yeah. You know, the drinks in advance. There's almost always a Ram, a Ramos gin fizz. There's always a blended drink. There's mm-hmm. a couple of shots. There'll be like shots of tequila or shots of Jaeger. There's like a daiquiri and then like, I don't know, five other drinks. I can't remember. <laughs> so, like what's a, what's a good time? Um, my time in Vegas was, I want to say two minutes and six seconds. Jesus. And my time in Puerto Rico was when I won the second time was two minutes flat. Holy fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to take me two minutes flat to just adjust that. <laughs> that. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, like, I had the advantage of already having um, done speed rack for several years and having won that competition. So I knew how to train mm. for a speed competition. How do you train? Huh? How do you um, train? Meticulously and every day and for several hours a day. It's, it is a process. Uh, so for speed rack, it's a little different because um, you don't have one round, you have 15 possible rounds that they're going to call that day so <clears throat> but it's only four drinks okay so um you make those drinks as fast as you can mm. um and like a good time for that for me was 36 seconds okay. um so that's that's a that's a different animal but i would train i we you know i'd collect bottles fill wait them sorry 36 bottles. seconds for four drinks yes damn yeah Maybe I mean they might be easy drinks. They might be like a Negroni, Margarita, Sidecar, and like a yeah. But it's not like a drink with a recipe in the title. Uh, yeah. Like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, oh my gosh! When I when I first started bartending, a girl like a brand new girl who they just hired was like, "How do I make 
uh, a seven and seven and all girls in the name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happened to me one time when I was working there too. Someone asked me, "It's like, how do you make a rum and coke?" I'm like, "Recipe in the title." <laughs> and then she got embarrassed, and she was just like, "No, I mean, how do you make them here?" I'm like, "Again." <laughs> but yeah, that's like the smart. That's like a smart ass answer. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but uh yeah i mean um so yeah it's so you would i would train every day i would track my time sometimes i'd fill myself um but armenia was a different beast it's a lot more i mean like speed rack is very high pressure because you're on a state well yeah, they're both very high pressure i guess but uh barmania is definitely a lot more fun and like uh people like throw dildos in the blender and it's, it's just crazy <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah it's just crazy so it's like it's it's a lot more like it's not as intense as speed rack is because speed rack is like you're you're really you've put your all in it. I put my all in, in both of them, but um, Barmenia was just like it was just so much fun. And at that point, it was just like I don't know, like it's everyone. It's it just it's just like a raging good time. It's fun. So you have um, so now that you've already won these, so that you're already a champion. Can you divulge some secrets to anyone who might be listening about how? You know what? I'm an open book. I have literally trained, uh, particularly for speed rack. I have literally trained uh, girls all over the country. It's like by FaceTiming them, like, all right, let me watch you work. And they'll be like, no, that's wrong. (laughs) So what's like, what's the number one thing you would tell somebody if they're doing one of these speed competitions? Like what's, what's the the golden rule? Use both hands. Ah, Especially in speed rack. So many areas. (laughs) Using one hand? what is that you know yeah, at, any, yeah. at any point you're using one hand what is that you have two mm-hmm. use both hands yeah. mm-hmm. and no one knows how to not everyone no one is trained to be ambidextrous like no you have to train yourself for that i mean some mm-hmm. people are obviously ambidextrous. Well, yeah, if but, you've uh, been at like like i i went i i got brought up in like free pork programs where i was i was trained to be ambidextrous mm-hmm. but like that's like rare you don't you don't see that that often anymore yeah and and for for people who are legit ambidextrous there are like it takes a while for you to train your offhand mm-hmm. in concert with your with your dominant hand, right? Absolutely. Yeah, like that's not easy, especially when you're like free pouring a shot. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, how do you get involved in these competitions? Are you like, do you all you have to do is just apply, or you, you apply? Know? Yeah, there is. Um, I mean, um, for speed rack. Um, I mean, it's, it's been different this year, obviously with COVID, but their applications usually go out in, um, fall slash winter. And then, um, Barmania Nectali usually will announce it via social media that applications are open and they go to the herbs and rye website and they sign up. And, uh, I mean, I got involved in this cause like I saw someone else do it. Right. right. I saw someone else and I was like, that's cool. I want to do it. And, um, Yeah. I did. And that was uh, part of that was because I like when I was seeking those, all those educational opportunities that also man- meant I expanded my network beyond just San Jose. Um, that's that's huge in this industry if you want to get into like doing mm-hmm. Tales of the Kata or whatever. Right. It's the networking is massive. Like um, and obviously that's become a lot easier through so- social media. Like how did when you started, were, were you able to network? through social media or was it mostly 
Oh man. Uh, yeah, a little bit, but I mean, I was like so cheesy. I made business cards. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Business cards. They said like my title was bartender slash ambassador of fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, I still have them. I still use them. They say I still have my, my critical information. So mm. whatever. But um, yeah, no, I did. But I also like, um, and I started locally when we started getting like uh, brand trainings and things like that. I would always go up and thank whoever was hosting. I would thank uh, whoever was educating. Um, and then, yeah, well, Tails was a big catalyst for that too, as I went to Tails just as a, a like, someone who wanted to go to seminars and stuff, uh, went to a ton of parties and after every single, but after every single seminar, I would go up to the presenters and thank them and hand them my friggin' business card, like a cheesy little nobody. See, it's my mm. business card if you're ever in San Jose, but why would you come to San Jose? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I used to try kissing her. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the, I, I did it that way for a long time. Social media, yes, it did help um, in terms of staying connected with people I'd already met. So, like, if I met someone or if I'd taken someone's class, I would immediately go, you know, request them and send, or send them a message. Or if they left, man, a lot of times, like, presenters will leave their, like, email up there. And they'll be like, if you want our deck, you know, send us an email. And I would always email them. Mm. Um, and, yeah, there's I've, I've been really lucky that I've been put, uh, that I've gotten to do a lot of opportunities that are, like, heavily network-based, like the Cocktail Apprentice Program. Um, at Tails, there's like, you know, Camp Renamuck, which is like a building a tiny village in in Kentucky in the summer. And uh, oh yeah, can you talk to me yeah. a little bit more about that? I don't I don't know what this Camp Renamuck is. Yeah, it's um it's been around for what's weird. It's been around for like seven or eight years now, um, and it's literally a summer camp for bartenders in the middle of Kentucky. And you go do the bourbon trail, and you go um, you go to different distilleries and things like that, and then throughout the week you're at, you're literally in a children's sleepaway camp mm -hmm. in the middle of Kentucky that's where we everyone stays like in bunks um and you kind of connect with your first year cabin because you have a cabin of people that's like that's who I trained with for speed rack for my very first year because I didn't know anyone um and then um people who are on the same bus as you, you going on the same tours as you um so you build this these this it's over a week about a week and uh, you build some really strong friendships with people who are like, I was obviously the only person for San, from San Jose for the longest time. So, and the, the, for my first year, there was very few people from the Bay area or California in general. So I started connecting people from like New Orleans and New York and uh, Seattle and places I'd never been yet. This was like six years ago. So uh, just talking to you like through this, through how we've been talking so far um I, I the sense i get from you is that a large and you can correct me if i'm wrong but it's my show so probably don't do that no, I'm, just <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like what what i'm getting from you is that a large part of your career has been driven forward by your just thirst to put yourself out there would you agree with that oh yeah a hundred percent. I mean, like, like I said, nothing, nothing was coming, nothing was coming for me. You know, mm, there yeah. wasn't like people lining out the door in San Jose to be like, Mary, we want you for this thing. I had a lot of it. I had to go seek out, but I would, the thing that the, is the most beautiful thing about bartenders, the most beautiful thing about our industry is most people are really nice. Most, not all, but like when you get to know most bartenders and you ask them a question and you ask, or if you ask them for help, or if you ask them for 
advice. Like, Hey, how did you get to do this thing? I'd like to do it. They'll tell you, mm-hmm. you know, um, more people like uh, the people we look at as leaders in this industry are extremely accessible if you tried. Mm-hmm. Um, and so everything that I got to do, I would get to go and do more things because of someone I met there. So like I first went to Tails. That's when I first heard of Camp Renamac. I went I went to Camp Renamac. I went to Camp Renamac. I heard about all these opportunities with like San Antonio Cocktail uh, Festival and Tales of the Cocktail doing like the cap program or uh, Speed Rack. I went and did all those, you know. Um, and that would just connect me to more and more industry people who would just start like, oh, hey, who do I know in San Jose? Oh, yeah, that one girl. So, um, and it's gotten to a place where I get to bring that back. I get to bring that stuff home and I get to be like, Hey guys, these are the opportunities that we have right now. You know, these are the things that are going on. These are, uh, the competitions that are open. Like, uh, and I also start seeing like, um, brands investing directly in my community, like, uh, world-class, which is this huge, you know, uh, global competition. They did one of their, um like world-class clinics in san jose this year instead of san francisco uh jim beam did their gym class in san jose instead of san francisco so like they're they're people i'm not the only one seeing it anymore which is really nice so do you feel like um you must feel like some of this happening in san jose now as opposed to like say san francisco which would be the more obvious choice you you, some of that's got to be from your own influence I mean, I'm not going to be here and be like, I made this city. No. (laughs) (laughs) That's my job to to tell you that you did that. I will say I love, okay, yeah. And I think this is what you're picking up on. I love making friends and I love making connections. Mm -hmm. And if I can do that, not only to like, and for the longest time I was doing that just for myself, um, you know, because I, I I wanted to learn and things like that. But at a certain point, I, 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 I felt this real need to, connect other people to that I saw I also saw this like burgeoning talent in my area that I needed I needed everyone else to see too Uh, Um, so it's I'm not gonna sit here and uh, but I did there was like a solid I want to say like year where once a month I would get hit up by um like a brand ambassador I'm like hey I don't you know I don't know anyone in San Jose and I would do like the the full like cocktail uh, like crawl where I just right. be the unofficial ambassador of San Jose where I'm just taking everyone to all and introducing them to all like uh, the decision makers and things like that. Like, Hey, this is my friend. He runs this bar. This is so-and-so they work for this company. You know, if you ever need education, things like that. And that was, that was like, you know, that was an uh, investment of my time in order to get people to pay attention to a community that I, I thought deserved it. Well, I, I love that. And I, 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 I'm very much behind that notion of like paying it forward. Like the only way we're all going to expand our own local communities and then therefore bars and restaurants as a whole across the globe is to reach out and share, right? Like we yeah. need to be, this, this whole profession needs to be a community and not working against each other because, oh fuck, I don't want like this pub crawl to go to that bar instead of my bar or whatever, right? Yeah. Like we need to be working together. That's the only way we're all going to advance. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, whole, like, and it's hard, especially when you're starting out in a smaller community where there's only like a handful of bars and things like that. It's very easy to go to the com- very competitive routes like us versus them. 
But it's like, oh, none of us are going to get anything if we're going to keep it like that. <laughs> right. And I think uh, just the logistics of it, nobody, like when I was like, I'm old then I'm an old man, but like the, when, uh, when I was growing up, when I turned legal drinking age, we would, and me and this guy, Dan sitting beside me, would sit in the same fucking bar for seven hours drinking, right? But nobody does that anymore. Nobody, nobody wants to sit in the same place all night drinking. They want to mm-hmm. hop around. So the only way to, so the best scenario for all bar owners, bartenders, servers, whatever, chefs, is to have a community in a region where, mm-hmm. where people want to hop around to all of them. Like I said, like, we're not known as a food and drink destination necessarily, you know. Um, but like like I said, that there there is real talent here and there's real potential here. And uh, the more we grow together, uh, the more I see people kind of paying attention. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Like, it, it's all about the communal, the communal growth. I think that that's what mm-hmm. we all have to get behind. Um, I want to talk about... Um, like you're not going to toot your own horn, so I'm going to fucking do it for you. All right. The, uh, <laughs> like you say, like I, I'm getting at the fact that you've obviously created, like, I feel like you're just talking to you right now. It seems like you're very like, at least uh, in, in the conversation for responsible for the burgeoning San Jose food and restaurant scene. And this is proven not just by me blabbing on this podcast but the fact that in 2019 you were honored with a commendation from the city of san jose talk to me about that yeah well that was a trip because i was not expecting that i actually um so that was last year was the first year that i had made um the top 10 for american bartender of the year and um that's the first time for tales of the cocktail and that's the first time anyone from san jose has really ever made that that list before and uh the local paper <laughs> did this whole story about it <laughs> where it was like the headline was like uh bartender from paper plane puts san jose on the mixology map and i yeah. cringed oh my god there's <laughs> <laughs> like my, my picture and i'm like oh no <laughs> And who, but, um, and who knew there was a whole map of mixology? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, uh, shortly after, well, the thing about that too is like, um, I'm lucky that my workplace, um, it's a great place to work, uh, Paper Plane. And they have, um, like we have our local governments pretty close and they go they go to the restaurants and bars in downtown. Uh, but I got approached on like, a, I was literally on a Friday night and uh, working at the bar, I got impro- uh, p- uh, approached by these two people like, hey, we work for uh, Councilman Perales's office and he's thinking about giving you a commendation because of your nomination for this award. And I was like, what? Are you guys drunk? <laughs> 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 and, like I gave them I gave I gave them one of those cards that I had kept, you know, the had my mm-hmm. email and <laughs> number. And I was like, sure, you know, um, uh, it's busy right now. I can't really talk, but like, you know, shoot me an email. Let me know what you need from me. You know, I, I didn't know if this was like a vetting process or something. And then they're right. like, okay, show up on this date. We'll have a, like a plaque for you. And, like, <laughs> and it was so funny. Cause it was like eight in the morning. Um, it was like, yeah, it was eight in the morning. You know, a perfect they, time for were, a bartender. Yeah, yeah, they were so sweet to me. They're like, I know this misses you really early for you. <laughs> I'm like, but I'm really excited. And they were it's so like, sweet I haven't even slept. Don't worry. No. <laughs> it, was really, it was really actually really sweet. It was just a really sweet ceremony. Um, and they 
Um, it's the first time a bartender had ever gotten a commendation from the city. So that was, I thought that was really cool. That's uh, crazy, but, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's basically because, like, yeah, like I said, no one thinks of San Jose when um, they think of food or drink, but we have reasons to. I love that you like don't even like even when I'm trying to get you to talk about yourself here about your award but like your commendation you're still just big up in the city it's like I I mean that's great the thing about it is I don't even believe I'm the best bartender in my own bar and I'm that's 100% fact I work Mm. with one of the best teams in the world Mm. I do not believe I'm the best so when I get like and it's not and it, yes, these awards are really special and I'm super honored and like absolutely floored by the support and love that I get from the greater bar community to get kind of recognitions like this. But at the same time, I'm doing the same job as hundreds and thousands of other people, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I know yeah, that. We can't, we can't take ourselves too seriously. But... No. Yeah. And I'm like, I know, I know what I do every day. I know what my team does every day and I get to go and like... I know what I've seen traveling the world and sitting in front of bars. I see what they do every day. So it's like, I don't, the only difference that I can see is that I like to meet people. (laughs) (laughs) I like to put myself out there and, uh, you know, and that, that sort of makes its own mark. But I really, I know, I know I'm not doing anything that different from a lot of really awesome people in our industry. Well, I'm going to go on a limb and say that you're probably the fastest bartender in your bar. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> All right. I mean, like, if, if you can admit to that one, <laughs> I can, I'll give. I'll, I'm pretty fast. I mean, not. I mean, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, you got. You got to. Uh, yeah, you got to dust off the chops. But <laughs> um, okay, talk to me about Paper Plane as a bar. I, hopefully, I'm assuming that eventually you will reopen. And yeah, eventually we will. I mean, like, um, we have. It's, uh, we've, so before the COVID, we were a, you know, a heavy hitting, like high volume bar, um, but that did a, a seasonal menu twice a year, seasonal menu change, plus, um, a holiday pop-up during the holidays. Um, and, uh, it's a big space. We have like close to a thousand bottles on the back bar. Um, and it's like, I don't know, I don't I think the entire space is like 6,000 square feet, but like that's including the kitchen. So the inside space is probably like 250 capacity people. So you definitely like pack people in. Um, and uh, it's, it's a machine. It's been there for, we, just, we they celebrated our uh, anniversary um, during, during the quarantine uh, back in April. And it's been there for six years now. Mm. I've been there for four of those years. Um, and it's, it's really like, what well, is the best team that I have ever worked with? I would say like, I have some friends that like my bosses, who is someone who trained with me, who trained me at my, the, that first cocktail bar, Singapore. And, you know, like, um, like I work with a lot of people that I've worked with for years or I've gotten to know over the years. And it's, uh, a team that is just so unique and so diverse and they, have so many different talents and it's it's kind of like crazy lucky that I get to be a part of it but um it's been my home bar um it's kind of like I I rep it proudly I have a paper plane tattoo oh wow that is serious business (laughs) (laughs) Um, there's actually actually several of us that have a paper plane tattoo now oh wow that's great I mean Mm -hmm. I mean that's that's when you so the ownership must be awesome 
they're great. They're good people. Like, well, the one of the, the one of the owners is straight is literally one of my best friends. Like yeah. I just saw him earlier today. He went, I told him like I, I needed like two ingredients to make a paper plane, to make an actual paper plane for a friend. Yeah. And he went to the bar, went and got the bottles and brought them to me at home. So I didn't, he's oh. like, I know you have a lot of panels today. I'll drop it off in you in the morning. Nicest guy in the world. His name is George. I love him. He's a lovely human. Okay. I'm just looking at your back bar behind you right now, though. You have fucking, you live with another bartender. You have <laughs> like fucking every bottle known to man back there, but you didn't have the two bottles necessary I to make a paper. Have, well, I had one of them. I didn't know I had, I didn't think I had Aperol. I didn't have yeah. Amaro Nonino. I didn't. Well, I had you know, like twenty other Amari. I didn't. Here at Kitchener, we're going through like an Aperol crisis. We can't get it. Oh really? Yeah. So yeah, we're having a we're having a hard time with paper planes right now. Yeah, we had that. For, there was like there was um, and it was really funny. The first I remember, I wasn't working there yet, but there was the first one of the first years that paper plane was open. There was some something happened in California where there was no Aperol. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> we need that. I think um, sometimes these liquor companies just do it on purpose just so they can jack the price. I remember that like when I was in university, there was a, a big tequila shortage in Canada. Oh, yeah. I was like, there's never been a fucking tequila shortage ever. <laughs> but it's, it's a little different for you. I mean, I think for us, um, too, state by state, it's super different, right? Because uh, um, yeah. liquor laws are super different state by state, but I'm sure it's different for you. But for us, it's almost always like, um, like on the distributor side, like they didn't order enough or, right, yeah. or a shipment is like lost at sea. Oh, that's <laughs> what I always hear. Oh, it's on the water right now. It's on the water. Yeah. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> like literally on the water, just lost at sea. Or like we had, um, I think that the, what was holding up that, uh, that, that particular time, there was a huge uh, workers strike at the shipyard uh-huh. in Oakland. And uh, like it was like held up for like like a month or something. Yeah. I remember that. Unions fucking us this time. Unions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so at Pit Plane, you're doing like, but you're still doing like craft cocktailing, but just yeah, very, very much. Um, yeah, yeah, very much. Like we've we figured out ways to be smarter about it in terms of executing the cocktail. Like we've turned to we have keg cocktails. We'll batch a few drinks here and mm-hmm. there and stuff like that. We try to make it not like we try to make it so that the drink is unique. They are interesting, um, still accessible and executable, and especially at our my roommate, um, his name's Patrick. He's a big um, like science um, geek in terms of cocktails. Like he has a lot of like we have a lot of equipment in my house that I don't know how to use. Like molecular shit, yeah. Yeah, he has like a rotovap, a chamber vacuum yeah. sealer. There's like a homogenous. He has some stuff in there I would never touch because I don't know how to use it. It's very expensive. <laughs> yeah. But he has managed to figure out how to use those techniques to make really make better drinks that, you know, only he can make using this technique. So um, he, he's figured out ways, he figures out ways to make really, really cool um creative ideas i'm more of like a like simple in terms of ingredients i'll make at most one homemade ingredient and the rest i want to depend like i want it to be kind of accessible drinks and um i think our whole team operates in different ways like that so it it balances out that's what's important right like do you do you feel like the key to like any good team is having like i i know this guy a shout out to paul beamer and kitchener uh, Ontario, um, who likes to talk about his staff. Uh, he owns a fine dining, like, 
Indonesian restaurant and he likes to talk about his staff like a hockey team like you need a center you need two mm-hmm. forwards you need two defensemen and a goalie like do you yeah, feel I mean, like like, that's a way to build a team it's like yeah yeah well we were just like skills? when we talking about as I was kind of talking about earlier like in service you kind of have those people who are stronger at one thing like someone's going to be the the muscle someone's going to be the the, the chatty Kathy who's going to um you know keep all the guests happy and uh, someone else is going to like have the knowledge or you're going to have some kind of balance of that amongst all your team. I hundred percent, the, the same applies when like we're trying to, cause we build, we build our menus as a team. We uh, submit, we start our menu process uh, about three months before we do a menu launch. We start it with submissions. So we have to dra- basically draft up raw ideas of what we're thinking about working with a drink. And we have like submission forms that we send to our bar manager, Ryan, um, and then we have about, uh, we have like, a, about like three or four weeks of that. And then we have about five, six weeks of R and D where we meet once a week and we test out the ones we think could work, even if they don't work, you know, and, uh, we do it as a team. We collaborate, especially because we, sometimes we have younger members who are just because we brought, brought them up from barbacks and, you know, they're just starting to develop cocktails. So, yeah so we usually provide um, some feedback for them to kind of help steer them in the right because sometimes like um it was really like I, i've seen some people who are just throwing some stuff together and i'm like i think i think you you don't want to do that like you'll have like nine ingredients and i'm like i don't know what any of those ingredients what purpose they serve right. other than you can say that you have like uh three amaros a bitter chartreuse and like you know in okay. all in one cocktail. Can I ask you something about that? Because I think that there's like, I, and I, I don't know what it is. It's either the fact that someone is young and just starting out and doesn't hasn't figured it out yet, or it's a trend, and I can't figure out which one it is. So maybe you can, um, like, like well, of, of putting 15 fucking ingredients in a drink that really only needs three. One, one, we have never had the access of ingredients that we do today. Oh, I used yeah. to hunt down violet liqueur. Back in the day, we had creme vet. We didn't have violet liqueur. We had creme vet. Um, so there's more accessible. There's just mm-hmm. they're inundated with all these new, especially like in um, like liqueurs and, and modifiers and things like that, uh, like herbal liqueurs and and uh, things like that. So yeah, there's there. And then the other side of it is there's always been this like the bartender handshake has always been something kind of bitter, like fernet right or yes. nowadays sometimes people are doing like chartreuse or whatever some kind of mixture of yes. that so i think yeah, that i mean, I mean in, in 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 my town bartender handshake is still for now so yeah it's yeah. it, that's yeah. what it is to me yeah. when i was like, like i was saying when i was like a like 18 years old and a hostess at the loft in San Jose. I told you my cousin was a bartender. I said, I wanted to be a bartender. He's like, you put a shot of Fernand in front of me. But yeah, that's always been an element of like, um, I don't know, like a, a thing between bartenders. Yeah. Yeah. So there has always been this, um, not challenge, but like we've always wanted to, go for the bolder flavor, go for the weirder thing. Um, because, you know, we're, we're trying to stay ahead of the game. And I think that that has influenced like a lot of younger cocktails because they're starting to taste these things for the, maybe the first time. They're like, that's freaking interesting. I want to make a drink with it. Well, that's interesting too. I think that that would work. And I'm like, no, it doesn't really. But I mean, I get, I get where the energy's at. Um, so yeah, I think it's, ex- it's, it's accessibility to all these ingredients. It's, uh, 
inexperience in understanding flavor and balance. Yes. Um, and, but it's, and it's also like, yeah, that sounds cool. Like it's yeah. like, I would read that on many. I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. Well, it's like, I remember like the old Bill Clinton campaign where it was like, is the economy stupid? I feel like for a cocktail, it's like, keep it economical, stupid. <laughs> like, you know, uh, uh, yeah. know. just dial it back. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, no, you're, yeah, you're not going to be making a drink with a VEP, man. That's not going to happen. Sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, you're right. Like all this new shit that's available to us, of course, everybody wants to try everything, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I kind of get it. Um, okay, I, I want to talk a little bit about... Um, Going back to Tales of the Cocktail, this year you also got nominated again, top four mm-hmm. bartender in the entire United States of America. Is that mm-hmm. good? Wow. Yeah, um, they announced it on Thursday. Oh, in like three days. So, so by the time this podcast airs, it will have already been announced, and maybe this will just drive our listenership. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exciting as fuck, though. Or I would have, I will have lost, and it will do nothing for you. Well, top, uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, top four in a, in a country that's known for cocktailing like your country is more than any other country in the world, maybe except maybe Britain, maybe like maybe, mm-hmm. yeah. That's Asia's Asia's, uh, Asia's, uh, Asia's, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Asia's doing some cool stuff. I mean, yeah. shout out my my Asian community; they're doing cool stuff. <laughs> but that's that's fucking incredible! Congratulations. Thank you. I um, uh, I, I found out I made top ten, uh, and I'm more involved with the Spirited Awards this year, uh, um, helping with the judging and stuff like that too. I'm not allowed to vote for myself or anything like that, but uh, I so I didn't really, you know, I, I wasn't really sure how this year was going to go with everything going on. Um, but I found out it was top 10, um, probably right at the beginning of the, the pandemic. And then they held off on the final news for the top four, um, until last month. So I had no idea. And I honestly, I, I, I forgot about it. <laughs> forgot that they were going to There's other shit going on in the world. That's understandable. Uh, I was taking, I, I was taking a tequila class online. I was like doing some stuff. I, I went back to school this semester. So I was like, you know, I was doing other stuff. And all of a sudden, like one morning I got in flooded with text messages, like congratulations. I'm like, what are you, what are you guys talking about? And I, cause I did not, ex- I honestly didn't expect it. Cause there's that. I mean, if you looked at the top 10, it's a tremendous list of really amazing bartenders um, from all over the country, really amazing people. Um, and the, the top four, I mean, like, um, one of them, um, Kevin, who's just off the, off the way in San Francisco, he's like, they, his bar just won, um, best American cocktail bar today. What bar is that? Uh, Pacific Cocktail Haven. Oh, wow. And they're literally one of my favorite places in, um, to drink other than my own bar. Um, and you know, I'm on, the, I'm, I'm sitting here li- on this list next to him and I'm like, this is, this is the dude I've looked up to for years. So this is kind of weird, you know? Mm. So it's, it's really cool. And I'm, I'm, like I said, like, it's one of those recognitions I'm completely forward and honored um, by, but at the end of the day, doing the same job. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you seem to definitely have that groundedness about you where it's like, yeah, you're do, you're just doing your job and the shit comes when it comes. But honestly, you should feel great about that. I mean, that's fucking amazing. Thank so, you. I feel yeah. great. Okay, uh, I'm going to let you go soon. You've given us a lot of time, but I want to give you, I want to ask you a couple questions. What is your, what has been your favorite, like what has been your favorite thing about being a bartender and choosing this as your career? 
if you had to sum up like one thing, just one thing, what's the best thing? What's the best part? Oh, this is going to be so cheesy. So cheesy. Every single friend in this industry I have made in the past year, several years, they, it is so lovely that I can go to almost any city in this country, probably the world, find someone, even if that we've met briefly, um, if I can sit in front of their bar, I have a friend. I love that. That's, I think that's really special. And like I said, I love making friends. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, that's amazing. That's a great answer. That was not cheesy at all. And secondly, uh, what, what does the service bar industry need going forward? What's our biggest problem? All right, well, there's, <laughs> there's a lot there. Yeah. Um, right now, we need support from um, a bigger community than just ours. We need support from legislation. There are still city, cities in this country that can't do to go. We need, uh, you know, support in terms of safety, like who's going to be enforcing um, these new safety precautions um, in bars and restaurants moving forward. We need, we need help and we need people to see us as valuable. That's, we need a, we need help on a bigger scale, and we need it from the government, the legislation, local offices, whoever can help us. Uh, we need help on a huge, huge scale. That's well put, and I appreciate you saying that. I appreciate all the time you've given us today, Mary. Let me just tell you, you're fucking super cool. Thank you oh, so thank you. much <laughs> for doing this. I hope that one day when we're all allowed to leave our homes again, that uh, I can make it out to San Jose and we can have a bartender's handshake. Yeah, absolutely. I'd okay. love to come up to Canada. Yeah, you should. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, we should come up to Canada if that's ever allowed to happen. It's, 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 it's much, less of a, much less of a dumpster fire up here. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I'm, I'm secretly trying to, trying to marry someone up there right now. Just, <laughs> well, Dan's still single. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mary, thank you so much. We really appreciate thank your time. You so Congratulations on the Tesla cocktail. I got my fingers crossed. I've got my favorite in the race. That being said, I don't know any of the other three. <laughs> uh, good luck and uh, thanks again. Thank you so much. Thanks. Yeah.